Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the one year anniversary of the pandemic. <laughs> Some of you have been quarantining this whole time, some of you have been vaccinated already, and some of you are acting like there wasn't a worldwide pandemic going on at all. This week, because we're at the one-year mark, we are going to do a pandemic check-in. So we're just going to talk about some things that have brought us joy this year. But before we get into that, let's introduce ourselves and into the question, do you have a habit that has formed over the pandemic? I'm Sienna Amstutz. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and I don't know if this counts as a habit, but the thing that immediately came to mind was looking people up on Instagram and judging whether they're still going to restaurants and bars during the pandemic. <laughs> that's a little that, habit. I that is definitely a up. habit. <laughs> and to be honest, that's a habit I think is going to stay with me post-pandemic is if there's still evidence of that, you know, on social media for people, it's going to mm-hmm. affect how I view them. That's a, that's a really good point because there is a record now. So you can go back to the pandemic year and check what they were doing. True. The real thing is, though, most people post that kind of stuff in their sto- Instagram stories, which will fade that's away. True. Yeah. No, uh, that's a good one. I am 100% on board with that. <laughs> do you do that? I do. Absolutely. Yeah. I absolutely look and see what people are up to <laughs> and, and extremely judge them and then hopefully never talk to them again after the pandemic's yeah. over. <laughs> so. On, no, no one I'm close to. It's usually people yeah. on Instagram that like live in my city that I don't know personally, but I kind of follow on Instagram. Mm. Those are the it's, people that are the main offenders. Yeah, for me, it's mostly like acquaintances that we would see at like you know a party or something like that. So. Right. Um, I'm Lucas. I'm from Chicago, and uh, a big habit for me is I do this dur- as part of my habit, but the habit itself is checking all of my social media before I get out of bed. Mm. (laughs) I used to, as soon as my alarm went off, I would get up and, you know, go take a shower or whatever. But now, because I have nowhere to go, I will just lay in bed, catch up on all my social media before I get up, which is not something I want to continue, but it's very easy to do right now. Yeah, I had that habit before the pandemic. That was was, was a pre-pandemic habit for me. I'm just, I'm just like, I like the routine of like getting up, getting ready, going outside getting on the train all of that stuff and because i have none of that it's just like well sure i'll just lay in bed some more sure (laughs) well before we get into the things that have actually brought us joy during the pandemic i'd love to hear what you're feeling this week okay so this week i am feeling rupaul's drag race uk season two um i have been a kind of a recent fan of rupaul's drag race us i've watched the most recent seasons and some of the all-star seasons but never have seen like the early you know majority of the show Mm -hmm. um but i love it it's you know kind of one of the few shows that i watch live that i you know i don't want to be spoiled for that i feel like there's a conversation on twitter and on podcasts that i listen to that i want to be up to date for you know so it's my sports essentially (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah um and i'm so impressed with drag race for anyone who doesn't watch it 
it's ultimately kind of like Project Runway in that it's the easiest thing to compare it to in that it's drag queens that come and at the end of every episode there is a runway show where they all kind of fit to a same a similar category and they show off an outfit and one person is eliminated each week. But unlike Project Runway, drag queens not only have to be good at designing amazing like clothes and ensembles, but they also have to be good at singing and dancing and comedy and acting and improv and a list of other skill and being silly and shady. And it is remarkable to me how many things a drag queen has to be good at to win drag race. Um, and it's so impressive to watch. So I'm a huge drag race fan recently but what i've been watching right now right now the u.s season is airing at the same time as the uk season it's season two of drag race uk and the uk season is blowing everything else out of the water this season of drag race uk is so incredibly entertaining and it has a drag drag queen that i'm fully in love with her name is Bimini Bon Boulash. <laughs> One of the best Love drag it. names I've ever heard of either. And it, I just can't believe how funny the queens are in the UK compared to the US. Um, it's, it's really incredibly delightful. And so I wanted to make sure that people knew that, that if you like Drag Race US, you should pay the $5 a month it costs to subscribe to their special streaming platform called Wow Presents and subscribe just subscribe to Wow Presents, watch Drag Race UK, you're going to be so happy that you did. Lucas, I I feel like you've never seen Drag Race before. I have seen episodes of it. Okay. With groups, yeah. but I have never actually like watched it myself. Yeah. Anything about it appeal to you? It does. It seems very fun. Um it I, really is. In general, the only competition um like reality shows that i like are cooking ones <laughs> yeah um but th- th- i mean the things i've seen of, of drag race are fun uh the uk one i've heard is actually really really great so I'd, I'd be interested well here's the thing for someone who is not interested in maybe watching a whole season or every episode yeah drag race is really great to watch in clips because yeah. every season has similar challenges so there's a, a challenge called Snatch Game, which is a parody of Match Game. <laughs> and all the contestants, it's the big episode where they all do a celebrity impersonation. And so it's about comedy, but also impersonation. And so that's kind of like a, a special known episode each year. Mm-hmm. And so if you wanted to just like look up, you know, Drag Race Snatch Game from each season, you could. And, you know, kind of tune in that way. Um, and that's like a fun way to check in on the show um there's usually a stand-up comedy challenge there's usually um a, a musical every year called the rusical and <laughs> they're the rusicals sometimes are great and sometimes they're bad the u.s one this year was very very bad the uk one was rats instead of cats and it was amazing Oh and gosh. they're just, it's very silly and fun and stupid in all the best ways. That's great. I do love RuPaul, so eventually I should watch his show. <laughs> yeah. And let me tell you something about RuPaul. RuPaul, 
came to life in the UK. I feel like RuPaul crossed the pond and, like, showed up in the UK and, like, the girls there revived him. He's so (laughs) much more, like, charming and bringing out better looks than he is in the U.S. Interesting. Yeah, it's like, wow, he's really thriving over here. Except for the first episode after lockdown, he kind of screamed at them all. And then we were like, ooh, RuPaul's mad. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, Fair enough. The, the other th- crazy thing about this season of Drag Race UK is it started filming before lockdown. Halfway through the season, they were like, hey, coronavirus is happening. We've got to shut down. They thought it would be a few weeks. They came back seven months later. Um, mm. So for a reality show to start and then have a seven-month break in between is kind of wild. Yeah. And so um, that's another crazy thing to watch happen in real time. Interesting. Yeah, I'm I haven't seen any reality show that's happened during the pandemic or whatever, but I they're all like coming out now. And so I'm very curious to see kind of what that looks like. Some yeah. of them handled it very poorly, some of them handled it well. So Definitely. You know. Definitely. <laughs> we shall see. What are you but, feeling this week? Um, this week I am feeling um Edge of Tomorrow. I just rewatched this movie um for the first time since seeing it in theaters. Um, I guess in 2014 and this movie did not do well in theaters (laughs) at all. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it. And so I rewatched it. Um, and it's a great movie. It really is. And it's, I mean, it's for those who don't know, it is a kind of a sci-fi action movie in the vein of a groundhog day type situation. Um, I think this movie suffered from, um, a little bit of title drama, um, it's originally based off um, uh, a Japanese novel called All You Need Is Kill. And then partway through the marketing, I think very early in the marketing, they changed the name to like Live, Die, Repeat. And then Wasn't finally... after DVD release, I feel like they changed it to Live, Die, Repeat. So so, so it, was, it was before DVD. It was during the marketing they did Live, Die, Repeat and then immediately changed it to Edge of Tomorrow. And then back and then once the DVD came out, they changed it back to Live, Die, Repeat. colon edge of tomorrow (laughs) so yeah so there was there it was a mess it was a mess about the naming um and i I think in general better title live die repeat is a much better title than both all you need is kill and edge of tomorrow yeah (laughs) edge of tomorrow means nothing um so yeah so people didn't go see that um it it did fine at the box office but i mean not to the level i think that that they needed for (laughs) a massive uh action movie but this is a great movie it stars tom cruise and emily blunt um it's directed by doug lyman who directed um wonderful movies like mr and mrs smith and (laughs) born identity Identity? there we go yeah i was like he did one of the born movies yeah born identity um this has great action this is um I think one of Tom Cruise's best actual like acting roles. Um, it's it's not a typical Tom Cruise action movie. I think um, he plays a uh, coward, which is great because <laughs> you never see him as like with any faults for the most part. So it's great to that see him fun. being being terrible. Um, <laughs> and Emily Blunt's amazing; she's just fantastic. But this movie is really good. It's definitely one of my favorite action movies uh, of the last like decade or so. I I think everybody should watch it i i don't it's not available anywhere like i i have a copy of it but um it's not streaming anywhere but um i watched it because at the beginning of 2020 doug lyman tom cruise and 
um, Emily Blunt had talked about making a sequel to it. Um, and apparently the script is ready to go and they're going to start, you know, the planning stages at some point. Uh, I know everything got shut down, so who knows when that's actually going to happen. But they are planning on making a sequel of it. And so I was like, okay, I, I need to rewatch this to make sure that I like it as much as I do. And it turns out I do. It's a really, really good movie. <laughs> I should definitely make it a priority to see that movie. I know it's good, and I think I just need to save it for, like, when I have a group of people who are like, let's watch something we have all never seen before, and then I can pull it out of my hat, you know? It's really great with a group, for sure. And it's surprisingly funny. Like, it's not all... Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. It's not all, like, action, you know? I mean, it, it is lots of action, but it is, like... It's a one of the things I think that Tom Cruise in an interview talked about it was like he he wanted to do view this like the Roadrunner and Coyote where if you keep dying a bunch it shouldn't all be terrible and gruesome like it should there should be some fun right. like aspects to it to the repeating right. and so and it is and it's it's like there are some very funny moments even though it's a very serious uh, action movie so I enjoy it a lot cool. yeah normally I'd recommend where everybody can watch it but uh, go buy a DVD called Lived I Repeat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, let's turn our attention to the Oscars. Finally, we are (laughs) mid-March, and we are just now getting Oscar nominations. Um, They were announced a couple days ago. Um, The Academy is is actually holding the Oscars uh, mid-April, did we decide? Late April? Yes, Um, April 25th. April 25th. 40 days. Uh, Yes, and possibly they could do in person at that point, um, depending on, I mean, like, like you said, the way the Grammys did it could be something that the Oscars take and say, you know, we're we're going to do a much better job than the the Golden Globes. So that's what we're hoping for, I right? Mean, it's hard to do a worse job than the Golden Globes. <laughs> that is very true. It's very true. I'm optimistic. Um, so of the Oscar nomination uh, of the Oscar nominations, I would love to hear: Are there any standouts to you? Is there anything that surprised you? You know, even though I heard it was you know, a possibility. I'm still really excited and surprised that Emerald Fennell got a best director nomination for promising young woman. I um, agree. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I'm just really happy and excited for her. So whenever a woman is nominated for best director, it feels like a big achievement and to have two this year is really exciting. And, you know, I, I think Chloe Zhao is kind of a lock-in, but to have Emerald Fennell there also is just, you know, really warms my heart. I, I'm so happy that Promising Young Woman is getting all the Oscar buzz that it is. Yeah, I I agree. I was surprised it got a Best Picture nomination. I That that was kind of like the line for me of, of will, will it actually cross or will, or will it be left out? Yeah. Um, this is one of the first years that I feel like I have been pretty happy with the best picture list i feel like every year there's usually like one or two that i'm like i liked those movies yeah. but there's always movies that i'm like this is absolutely terrible i can't believe they nominated this right. year there's only one movie that i was like i didn't like this movie but i'm i understand that why they nominated it Which and that's make oh that's <laughs> you know yeah. here's the thing i i have issues with mank but 
I am not mad about Mank getting nominated for Best Picture. Agreed. You know, yeah. like yeah. Mank, I have issues with, but I am not offended by it. I don't think it's bad. No. Yeah. I think it's clearly an Oscar type of film. So Mank doesn't bother me in the slightest. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to read the Best Picture list. Yes, it's, please. So The Father. Um, which, which is the only film on this list I haven't seen. Same, because it's the only film that hasn't come out yet. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> which is why none of us have seen it. It uh, was in theaters in Europe, and that's it. So it's impossible for Americans to watch this movie. Um, so eventually, I'm assuming it will come, hopefully come to streaming here so we can watch it. Um, but, they, yeah, they haven't done a release here in the United States. Um, so The Father... Um, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of Chicago 7. This, to me, feels like a very good Oscar year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As far as Best Picture goes, I'm I'm super pleased. Yeah, definitely. I don't think I, there's even, a, like, a big snub in my mind. For Best Picture, there's snubs in other categories for sure, but there's not anything else that I was like, I can't believe that this didn't get, make the Best Picture list. I agree. There's there's some, compl- not, I wouldn't even say complaints. I would say, like, people were wanting Regina, uh, Regina King's One Night in Miami to make this list sure. and um, Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. Um, but, again, I don't feel like those are snubs. I just feel like... They didn't make the cut. Sure. Um, and everybody still recognizes them as, as great. I do think in the director category, I would have loved to see. Um, Regina I just King. said her name. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yes. Um, I would have loved to see Regina King in the director category. But again, there's nobody on this list that I'm like, oh, they did a horrible job. They should have replaced it with Regina King. So, sure. so the best director list is Thomas Vinterberg for another round. That was mm-hmm. a big surprise for me that. I, I, after seeing these Oscar nominations, I was kind of like, wow, I should probably watch, watch another round. You should. <laughs> <laughs> Lucas talked about it, but now I'm really convinced. Yeah, yeah, um, it's very good. David Fincher for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. Yeah, that's a solid list. Like, I, yeah. I, I 100% agree. I would love to see Regina King on the list, but also none. all of these are deserving. <laughs> so... <laughs> I would have loved to see Regina King. I also, like, I didn't really connect with The Five Bloods, but I do like seeing Spike Lee at these award shows. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I like Spike Lee getting recognized. So mm-hmm. I kind of also would have liked to see Spike Lee from a more of an emotional standpoint. Yeah. As far as The um, Five Bloods go, I do feel like... Um, I again, I I don't know if I would call this a snub, but I would have loved to see Delroy Lindo in the Best Supporting Oscar um, race. I truly like when that movie came out. I thought he was locked, and at this point, him not even getting nominated. I is think it's sad. definitely a snub. I like. Yeah. I I can't think of how that he didn't get nominated. I I think everyone who saw that film, whether you liked it or not, and I didn't love it, was still raving about his performance. Yeah. 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 So to me, I think that's the biggest snub of the Oscar season. To be I think probably. Honest. Yeah. Yeah. I think. To be and fair, I think, the, yeah. the list that they have <laughs> is still great. You know what I mean? It is. So for Best Supporting Actor, we have Sasha Baron Conan, Daniel Kaluuya, yeah. <laughs> um, Leslie Odom Jr., Paul Racy, um, and Lakeith Stanfield. And I think Paul Racy for Sound of Metal 
like th- that is someone who I'm very excited to see on this list who I didn't yeah. think would make it. Leslie Odom Jr., also someone I'm very excited to see for One Might Night in Miami. Sasha Baron Conan, I kind of expected this oh, for Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, but to have Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield both nominated in Supporting Actor for Judas and the Black Messiah uh, is surprising to me. <laughs> so I still haven't seen it. I definitely will see it before Oscars, just yeah. for sure. But okay. how is that? Why is that surprising to you? Just because it's two from the same movie or is like one less of a supporting role? What is why is that surprising? Mm-hmm. This would be one where I would say there are two leads. Got it. And neither two of them are supporting. Yes. And I am surprised. And they uh, they marketed, I guess they campaigned? Yes. They campaigned yes. Daniel as lead and Lakeith Stanfield as supporting. And Well, they the, definitely how, also campaigned Daniel as supporting. Golden Globes, he was up for supporting, wasn't he? Uh, Golden Golden Globes, he was up for supporting, but they didn't uh, campaign him that way. They always came. They've campaigned him as lead the entire time. Um, But how voting works is you just get a list of actors. And if you're if you're nominating, you get to decide where they go. Interesting. And so the so it looks like the body decided that both of them were supporting actor. Um, I and I don't I don't I I'm fine with it. I don't think I mean, I think. I think if one of them had gotten into the lead category, that would have made a spot for Delroy Lindo, which I think is the thing that I'm sure. uh, most upset about. So let's look at the lead category. I mean, yeah. I'm looking at it now. I haven't seen all these movies, but very easy for me to get Gary Oldman out of there. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got for in the in the best actor category, we've got Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick totally. Boseman for for Ma, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Steve Ewan for Minari. Yeah. I 100% agree. I think Gary Oldman's the the the, the weak link, I guess here, yes. um, and that one of them should have taken his place yeah. for sure, um, which would have made place for Delroy Lindo, which I feel like would have made this one happy Oscar list. Um, this is this best actor has Chadwick Boseman, like that one's all tied up. There's no question right. about. I think who will win that. Yeah. But I am very excited to see Riz Ahmed and Steve Ewan on this list. Me too. I just, I love them both. Bef- I love them both before these films and <laughs> even more after seeing both of these performances. I agree. Somebody uh, made the comment that they've, we've now doubled the amount of, um, I think Oscar, like uh, Asian men Oscar uh, nominated for acting awards. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that uh, also they're the only ones with hair. As the other ones have been bald. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited for both of them. I think this is a, a great, a great group. So looking at the best actress list, this is the category that I've seen the least amount of movies in, I feel like, at least of the big categories. So there's Viola Davis from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andre Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, mm-hmm. Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. Francis McDormand, Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. I think it's a good list. I yeah, I haven't seen Pieces of a Woman or The United States versus Billy, Billy Holiday yet, so yeah. those we'll we'll see. I think this is a more open field. I feel like some of the other ones are pretty locked up, right? Um, in, in the acting categories, um, this one and Best Supporting Actress, I feel like are completely open, and we'll just kind of see how the how the campaigning goes. Yeah, I mean, because I've seen Nomadland. Uh, Francis McDormand feels like the front runner to me, but yeah, um, you know, but I don't, I don't know that that's a lot. Yeah, 
I feel the same way. Um, I always see all of the best picture movies and all the best director movies. Right. I try to see all of the movies that are nominated for acting categories, but I feel like every year there end up being movies that are just like, I'm not going to watch this movie. This person got nominated for a bad movie and I'm just not going to watch it. They might have a good performance, but the movies, it's not something I'm interested in at all. And this year we have uh, Glenn Close nominated for Hillbilly Elegy and oh. I'm not going to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> so. no, no, no. I feel like, especially in the actress categories, yeah. best act- mm-hmm. I feel like in Best Actress, there's always one movie that it's like, I don't want to see that movie. The only good thing about that movie is this acting performance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like the yeah. only draw. I shouldn't say the only good thing. But like, so like with Renee Zellweger and Judy, that was yeah. it. You know, like yeah. I saw all of them except for that one. Yep, same. Um, <laughs> Vanessa Kirby and Pieces of a Woman, I think is going to be that for me this year. You know? Yeah. yeah. Where it's like, I'm sure she's amazing, but I probably won't make it to around to seeing pieces of a woman yeah um let me tell you about moving on to best actress in a supporting role another big surprise that was really exciting even though i haven't seen this film is maria bakalova and borat subsequent movie film yeah i've heard really good things about this movie this isn't a movie that i've seen either are you Um, gonna watch this movie before oscars I, I was going seen to, any of the Borat. Yeah, I haven't. I, I saw the first one and I really didn't like it. Um, it doesn't seem like it's my sensibility. Right. I was planning on it if it got nominated for Best Picture. Because there yeah. were some people saying, like, there's a chance it'll get nominated. And I was like, yeah. if, it gets, if it gets nominated for Best Picture, I will watch it. But since this is its only, I would say, big nomination, um, it got a, a, a nominated for Adapted Screenplay as well. Um, but... I don't think I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was ex- really excited to see Amanda Seyfried get a nomination for Mank because yeah. she was my favorite thing about that film. And yep. so she deserves attention for it. Definitely. Um, should we move on to screenplay noms? Yeah. I feel like when I saw adapted screenplay, I saw the adapted screenplay category first without realizing that's what it was. And I was like, <laughs> oof what a category yeah. <laughs> and then i moved on to original <laughs> and i was like oh okay that makes more sense yeah <laughs> this is where all the movies are yeah adapted screenplay we've got borat subsequent movie film the father nomadland one night in miami and the white tiger <laughs> and not that these are bad movies but just not movies that like i was in love with their scripts yeah. you know what i mean yeah i would yeah nomadland fantastic movie i'm very surprised it's in the screenplay category yeah <laughs> um same with One Night in Miami. Like, I I would have been shocked to find this in the screenplay category. I think yeah. it's, again, really good movie. Very happy for Kemp Powers to have two Oscar nominations now. <laughs> so, sure. But I think still. I was ex- I was trying to figure out how does Borat work as a screenplay when it seems like most of that's improvised. But I haven't seen it. So maybe I don't understand the writing of Borat. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like it's... I feel like it's somewhat scripted and like these are the jokes I'm going to I'm going to attack people with, I guess, or whatever. And these are some responses that I can use. Like, I feel like there's some pre there's some prepping. Yeah. Um, going into some of that. But it, yeah, as a screenplay itself, it does not feel like a screenplay. So, yeah, we'll see. I would I would be interested in reading what the screenplay actually looks like. Sure. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then for best original screenplay, we have Judas and the Black Messiah. Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago 7. This seems like the typical Oscar list. Um, all of these nominated for Best Picture. Um, I, again, these 
they're all good. I don't like. I, I'm not. I'm not upset they're about great. any of these. So yeah, I. No. <laughs> yeah. This is a great category. It uh, is. Aaron Sorkin will probably win because Aaron Sorkin wins screenplay Oscars. Yeah. But yep, this is a great category to be competing yeah, in. Definitely. I'm. I'm just scrolling through the rest of this list, and I had. I have one thing that I was really excited about, and one snub that I was really sad about. And yeah. I was very excited to see my favorite movie of the year, Emma get mm-hmm. a costume makeup and co- makeup and hairstyling and a costume nomination um i i think i kind of wish it would have gotten a production design because i think it was also mm-hmm. really great in that sense but uh excited to see it get anything and yeah. i was really sad to see that boy state didn't get a nomination in documentary i am upset about that i do think that's a that's a big miss i feel like I didn't see a lot of documentaries this year, um, but I've heard I've heard about a couple of the ones that got nominated and not about the other ones. So yeah. I'd be I'd, I'd be curious to watch some of these. I mean, I'm going to take this time to still to tell people that they should see Time. Um, yeah, Time is sure. nominated. I I haven't seen the other, so I don't know how it compares or if it's a front runner or not. But it's incredible, and everyone should see Time. Yeah. Definitely. Um, is there anything else that stood out to you about the Oscar noms? I don't think so. I think that's uh, that's about it. So I'm excited for the Oscars this year. Um, I feel like it's gonna. I feel like it's gonna be a fun one because I think as things are starting to open up, it'll feel very celebratory. I'm. I think it'll be a good year for the Oscars. I do too. I mean, I think it'll be a good year for like who's gonna win awards. We'll yeah. see what the show is like. We're, we're yeah. going to keep our fingers yeah. crossed. Yes. <laughs> Let's move on to our pandemic check-in. So we have been in a pandemic for a year, and I feel like for the most part, we've gotten into routines. We've kind of... <laughs> We got, we got our things that we do. Um, and so I feel like there's been new things that we've discovered over this pandemic or just really dug into that um, are bringing us a lot of joy this or year. And are, coping are, mechanisms what? we might have discovered. A coping mechanism is a perfect word for it, yes. <laughs> so we decided we should bring each bring three things um, that can hopefully help you cope with the end of the pandemic as well. So, Sandra, I would love to hear what your first thing is. Okay, well, I'm sticking to the pop culture things because that's yeah. what we talk about here. Um, so these are three different pop culture things that have really helped me get through the year. Um, the first one is I bought a Kindle this year. Um, I'd always like read ebooks on like a little mini iPad that I have, but mm-hmm. I went ahead and finally bought like a real Kindle and that has been really helpful in making me read more this year. I can check out books from the library. I don't have to go physically to my library to check out books. I can check out ebooks. And it's surprisingly been the thing that gets me outside the most. Um, I, I'm not an outdoor <laughs> person. I'm more of an indoor kid. And so to get me outside, you kind of have to lure me out with media. Um, (laughs) So I have to like have a podcast that I listen to while I go on a walk or a movie that we're watching outdoors. Or in this instance, I will bring my Kindle. 
And I, a lot of times this summer, I set up a little like inflatable pool in my backyard and I would read in the pool. And that was really something to bring a little bit of fun and quote unquote luxury to a really sad time. Um, I recently got a membership to the Botanical Gardens and I'll, I love to go and take a walk in the Botanical Gardens and mm. kind of end the day with bringing my little Kindle in my purse and picking a really beautiful spot and reading outside. Um, so having this like very lightweight, easy gadget to bring and read outside has been one thing that's really been getting me through the year. That's fantastic. I Reading is definitely, <laughs> I think, something that... A lot of people who even didn't read before the pandemic have really, I think, dug into reading. Totally. And that's something that I'm really excited about. <laughs> and I think I've never had a Kindle, but I've heard really great things about them. <laughs> I mean, here's uh, just to be quite honest, I feel guilty promoting an Amazon product. Yeah, yeah. To be <laughs> frank, but it is a great product. And um, yeah, and, and I pretty much almost entirely use it for library books. Um, and, and their library book process with the Nashville Library is very seamless. Um, so I really love it. Also, here's my little Kindle library book hack mm. is with a Kindle, if you check out a library book, at least this is how it works in Nashville, you get two weeks to have it. But sometimes mm -hmm. I don't – I accidentally check out a lot of books at the same time and I don't – I can't read them all in two weeks. Yep. So with a Kindle, you can – Save them to your Kindle and then put your Kindle in airplane mode and then they'll oh stay on your Kindle <laughs> until you put it back out of airplane mode. So you can extend your two-week period if you need to. I love it. That's yeah. brilliant. And you're not hurting anyone by doing that because like, yeah. the library book still gets returned. The next person yeah. gets it. Yeah, That's fantastic. It's not I like would... when I check out a physical library book and then I right. never take it back for seven months. That has happened and that i feel guilty about <laughs> um so what's one thing that's just, what's your first thing that's brought you joy the first thing on my list is also books um unsurprising i've talked about this a lot um but i haven't actually gotten into detail on agatha christie um i've always loved agatha christie i've read a lot of Ag agatha christie books but i really dug into agatha christie books <laughs> this year um it started with a podcast called phoebe reads a mystery um and she was just reading a chapter of a mystery book every episode. And her first one was one of, oh, I don't, now I don't even remember which one. Her first one was an Agatha Christie book. And I loved listening to it and doing puzzles and just kind of like hanging out in the house early on in the pandemic. And so I just kind of kept that going. I watched a lot of murder mystery movies, um, but also read a lot of Agatha Christie books. Um, and I think that was, it's just really fun because you know exactly how those books go. You know exactly how the outcomes are going to be. And it's, it's not stressful in any way, shape or form. So I would recommend two Agatha Christie books um, that I really enjoyed and that I read for the first time and that are very early in her in her writing. Um, and so I think they're they're a little bit different than some of the other Agatha Christie uh, mysteries that if you've read any. One is The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. Um, this is one. This is a both are. Uh, well, actually, I don't remember if the man in the brown suit is. I don't think it is. The Murder of Roger Ackroyd is a Hercule Poirot book um, where he is not um, the central character. Somebody else is narrating, and he's kind of brought in 
um, throughout the book, um, which is a, which is an interesting thing that she does sometimes. Um, I really enjoyed that one. And the second one is The Man in the Brown Suit. This is a, kind of a cruise book, um, just about murder that takes place on a boat. And um, it, it goes in a bunch of weird places that I think are really fun for Agatha Christie. There's a lot more romance and stuff than I think she normally throws in. Um, and I really enjoyed it. So, Agatha My Christie, she's great. peaked up when, when you said that. I'm like, oh, what was that title again? Got some romance. <laughs> the Man in the Brown Suit. It's a good one. <laughs> All right. What is your second thing? Okay. So, my second thing, to be a little bit broad, um, was movie marathons. So, mm-hmm. throughout the pandemic, you know, I'm watching a lot of TV as a as a coping mechanism, a lot of reality TV. And I wanted to watch movies, but especially in those first 6 months, I would say, I couldn't bring myself to like watch a drama, you know? Um Yeah. I, I it was really just like a little too emotionally vulnerable for me to watch any kind of drama. <laughs> I found myself watching, you know, a lot of like teen high school comedies from the early 2000s. Um but that's not the movie marathon I'm referencing. So those that's what I found comfortable. And a way to like get myself to be excited about movies again was to um show one of my podmates, introduce one of my podmates to a filmmaker or a franchise via a marathon. Um, so throughout the pandemic, we did, um, we watched all the Mission Impossible movies. Um, we watched all the Aaron Sorkin movies. We watched all the Nora Ephron movies. And then we watched all the Fast and the Furious movies. Um, I think I'm missing another. We we might have had one more. Oh, all the Twilight movies. Um, and so we would mix it in doing do a franchise and then a filmmaker and a franchise and a filmmaker. And that was such a fun way to experience media to, to like track a filmmaker's career or track to see how a franchise has evolved over the years. And um, and it also kind of gave us a schedule. You know, it was like we know what we're doing tonight. We're gonna watch you know, the fourth Mission Impossible movie. And it kind of, you're progressing towards something. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just really, really fun. And comforting because I had seen most of all of these films. So it was like, I knew what to expect. And for the few that I hadn't seen, it was like, oh, I'm finally filling in the holes in Aaron Sorkin's filmography. These like, you know, I never seen a few good men. And so it was finally like, okay, now I'm, I'm watching a few good men. That's fantastic. Did you do any marathons over the pa- the pandemic? Yes. Um, we did Fast and Furious um, right at the very beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and we did uh, Miyazaki's movies, um, the, all the Studio Studio Ghibli um, films, um, which was a blast. I 100% agree with you. I think movie marathons, when you kind of have that schedule of like, all right, we're watching this movie next. It's not a debate of like, what are all the lists, of, you know, the hundreds of movies that we could possibly watch. Just like, we're going through the list. Here we right. go. Um, it's very fun. And I think, especially when you do filmmakers, I think it's interesting just to see their progression, um, is always very fun. So I think, yeah, I, I'm a hundred percent on board with, uh, movie marathons. Oh, I'm also obviously, you know, on the podcast, we did Ryan Johnson. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we did do Ryan Johnson. Oh, that feels like so long ago. That was the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah, that's great. What's your next thing? My next thing is YouTube cooking channels. Ooh. Um, yeah, I 
have always been a fan of um, Binging with Babish, who is a YouTuber who cooks different meals or um, dishes from TV and films. Um, and so he does very kind of elaborate dishes that are just kind of like fun uh, things to watch, you know, how he makes them. But during the pandemic, I have caught up on all of his videos. In addition to adding some some new YouTubers to my <laughs> to my viewing schedule, um, one is J. Kenzie Lopez Alt, who uh, has quite a name, but also is the author of the Food Lab. Um, he does very unpolished YouTube videos. He just puts a GoPro on his head, and as he cooks dinner, he'll just kind of talk through what he's doing. And so I think he's been really interesting to watch, um, learning just a bunch of techniques, um, and not even just like fancy things, but just like he knows so much about the technical details of cooking that the way he talks about um, how to keep garlic fresh or, you know, how to make miso soup in a way that's, you know, super quick and easy. And he's also very unpretentious. So he knows the things that like, you can do it this way, and it is the proper way to do it. But this is the way that I always do it just because it takes half the time and is just about as good. But if you it's not something that you'll find in a normal kitchen. He's just so unpretentious about all of the ways that he cooks that it's really, I think, endearing. Um, and his food looks really good, also. <laughs> so, uh, have, have to you, check have, that out. Yeah, it's 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 re he's really good, but it's just a GoPro on his head, just staring at his uh, um, at his cutting board while while, while he cooks. It's great. Um, and then, last but not least, is Alvin Alvin Joe, who is. Um, the opposite of Jay Kenzie Lopez Alt. He is the most polished and most produced uh, videos that I watch. And he's a video producer who I think started and does a lot of the, the BuzzFeed recipe videos that you see um, on social media. But his YouTube channel is very beautiful, like cinematic videos of him just cooking things at home. Um, no commentary. Um, just music, like very light jazz. Um, a lot of times he'll have the windows open and it'll be raining and you'll just hear the rain. And it's just him cooking like ridiculous things um, that are very like overly indulgent. Like he did a 72 hour brownies and he did yes. a beef Wellington. I think and I've just, seen like, this guy. Did, do you know if he on BuzzFeed did the like, he, does he make the giant food? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So he, yeah, he is, his videos are just so relaxing for yeah. me to watch. He only has eight of them. He puts one out like once a month over the pandemic. I think I saw the one on his personal YouTube channel where he did like, you know, I'm trying to only use like three ingredients or something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He did like a, a fluffy pancake, like a big. Or like a, uh, like each meal only had three ingredients. And so like he did like a dessert with only three ingredients or two ingredients or something like that. Oh, I don't know. I, I haven't seen that. I don't know All if he's done that. All I remember is that he made a creme brulee out of vanilla ice cream. And I was like, oh, I'm going to try that. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is absolutely him. Because yeah. <laughs> I also said the same thing. I was like, yeah. I have to try that. <laughs> so. yeah, I was like, I, I can get vanilla ice cream. That's. Anyway, his his videos are beautiful. I absolutely love them. Um, you should definitely check them out. All of the YouTube cooking, I'm in on. <laughs> Let me just throw in another one. It's, yeah. You know, since she left Bon Appetit, Claire Saffitz has started her own YouTube channel called Dessert Person. Um, oh, nice. That kind of is like in conjuncture with her cookbook, which is mm -hmm. the best cookbook I've ever owned. Um, and I, I own quite a few dessert cookbooks, and hers is incredible. And nice. so now she has a YouTube channel where she's basically cooking the recipes in her cookbook. And as if I, since I love the cookbook so much, it's really exciting to see a videos of the chef 
explaining the recipes in them. So yeah, really, really good. I'll check it out. Yeah. All right. What's your third and final thing? Okay. My third and final thing. Um, this was bringing me joy before the pandemic and it has continued to be important to me post pandemic. And that is podcasts. Um, you know, this pandemic has been incredibly isolating and podcasts are the way that I kind of surround myself with conversation and it helps me feel less alone to hear people talking, whether I'm cooking or going on a walk, um, or doing, you know, some, you know, cleaning in the house, listening to a podcast while I do it is, you know, brings me a lot of comfort and joy. And so they've continued to be really important to me throughout this year. Um, I want to highlight one that I've loved for a long time and a new one. So the one that I've loved for a long time, I I listen to a ton of podcasts, but the one that I am like, as soon as there is a new episode, it's the first thing I'm listening to. It gets bumped up in the queue, and that is Los Culturistas. I'm sure I've talked about it here before, but Los Culturistas is hosted by Bowen Yang of SNL fame and Mm -hmm. um, his best friend and also comedic genius Matt Rogers. And, um, they have been doing it for years and it is just the most fun podcast to listen to. They're both incredibly funny. Their friendship is so, it's so felt on this show. You know, you really sense their closeness in a way that is both entertaining and really sweet. Um, sometimes they have episodes where it's just the two of them talking about pop culture stuff. Um, they're big into drag race. They're big into pop stars. And so listening to them dissect every track on a Taylor Swift album or talk about Promising Young Woman or talk about drag race is really fun. And then some episodes they have guests. And their guests are always like very cool people that are in their similar comedy scene. So oftentimes queer or women people of a similar age, usually every now and then a more famous person. Um, but I have been introduced to the coolest and funniest people working in comedy today via their podcast. Um, they also have a lot of repeat guests. So you get to like track their friendships with people. Comedians like Joel Kim Booster, who I adore, um, have been on the show multiple times and, I just, I can't recommend enough people start listening to Lost Culturistas and listening to their back catalog. Um, the new one that I want to recommend is actually a podcast hosted by um, some of our friends from ACU. Um, David McMichael and Tanner Hadfield are people we knew from ACU, and they have an organization in Austin, Texas called Hyper Real, which is sort of a film club. They post reviews, they host film events, um, and they Hyper Real has a new podcast called Straight to Video, where the founders of Hyper Real, um, the three of them, kind of review films that have gone straight to streaming, whether that was Disney Channel original movies or ABC Family original movies to now original Netflix streaming movies. Um, they kind of pick and choose random ones. And they review the films. They also talk about hypothetical situations in which, like, what character would you, from this film would you bring to your Friendsgiving dinner? Um, they, they create new films based off of the ones they're seeing. And they're just three very charming people talking about very fun movies. And so I would love people to tune into that. That's awesome. I think 
yeah, podcasts are something that I have listened to less now that the pandemic has started, which is, I did not think that would happen. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think for me, it's mostly commute. I think that's when I would listen to a lot of podcasts. Right. But I miss podcasts. I listen to them as much as I can, but I, I, I'm not doing it as much right now. I mean, I found myself cooking more in the pandemic than I ever have. And mm-hmm. I like to listen to them while I do dishes and cooking. Yeah. That's that's when I'm doing all of it now. Yeah. So <laughs> cooking and dishes. <laughs> and then also, I just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast. I feel like we've had people that have picked up our show throughout the pandemic. And anyone who started listening or who has kept listening, we really appreciate you. Yeah, we really do. Yeah. Wait till we review a movie that comes out in theaters. It's I know. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> there are several people that I've reached out to about like, hey, do you want to come on the show? And they're like, sure. And I keep waiting to tell them like, how about this episode? Because we don't have – the next like month or two is a little iffy, you know, as yeah. far as what's coming out. But this yeah. summer, I think we're going to be back in full force. I think so. Um, okay, so my final thing that I am <laughs> – that has been my coping mechanism, um, has been a company called Go Clean Co. Um, This is a Canadian cleaning company that has an Instagram account with uh, 1.8 million followers that just talks about cleaning your house. (laughs) And so this is not something I would have been into before, but I'm very interested in cleaning my house just because I'm in it all the time. Um, And so it's it's run by um, Sarah McAllister, who also runs a blog called Breach Ble- Bleach Pray Love. Um, and it's just all about cleaning, like great cleaning tips. And a lot of their Instagram stories are just very specific um, instructions on how to clean your stovetop and how to like thoroughly clean your washing machine or dishwasher and like things that people don't clean all that often, even though they technically should. Um, but she gives very easy tips, um, very, I think, useful um tools as well of just like these are the only things you need and most of it is just bleach um tied uh laundry detergent and good cleaning brushes and rags so it's very inspiring i think to clean to clean your house okay i immediately want to follow this can you spell it for me again go clean co got it one of my favorite instagram follows this year for sure she's great follow for me because i love a cleaning hack yes and she is very again. I love people who are unpretentious about the, <laughs> about the stuff that they're good at. Um, and she's just very smart about like these are the things you need. This is what works for this. Here's how you clean these things specifically, and especially things like dishwashers or washing machines that are just like everyone's different, and it's all like you got to take things apart sometimes, and like stuff like that. Where she's just very simple about like this is all you need to do. Right. Um, it, it makes it, it makes it feel actually like doable. You're right. Being in the house, cleaning has been something I've done even more of. I, I, I've never washed this many dishes in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Anything to make the process easier. I will welcome with open For arms. For sure. I, we would love to hear some of the things that you guys have really uh, glammed onto during the, the pandemic. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the more coping mechanisms that we can get, uh, we, w- we will take them. So definitely we would love to hear from you on Twitter. Um, you can find us at Feeling It Pod. And where can we find you individually? You can find me on all social media platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And you can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye, now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yep. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 